Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. Welcome to episode 124 of Beyond the Rut, the weekly podcast about inspiring and equipping you to make your own path and live the life you've always dreamed of beyond the rut. I'm one of your hosts, Jerry Dugan, and in just a moment, Brandon is going to join us because we are having a conversation with Sean McCoy. Sean McCoy is a Navy veteran turned entrepreneur and consultant who helps people connect. The great thing about him is he has started a business that connects businesses with charities, nonprofit organizations in the Houston area. It's called Charity Core. We're going to talk about that later in the episode. But what really got us connected with him is his show, the Come to the Table podcast, which is about connecting people in conversation on a variety of topics. And so far since the launch of his show, he's talked about topics like eating disorders, racism, privilege, atheism, and so much more. And this is really about Christians having conversations with those that we typically wouldn't for those of us who've been Christians for a while. And it's just a great show, a great conversation about expanding our conversations beyond the echo chambers that we find ourselves in today. So here we go. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, Brandon, welcome back. Hope you've had a great 10-minute break (laughs) as we dove into the next week. Absolutely. Had a couple of Fig Newtons and water, and I'm good. Man, this time travel thing doesn't get old for me. (laughs) Batch recording jokes. All right, so (laughs) I didn't come on with you to tell bad jokes. As people heard in the intro, we've got Sean McCoy uh, calling in from Sugarland, Texas. How are you doing, Sean? I'm living the dream, brother. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you so much for taking the time to to spend with us on a Saturday morning to bring the show to fruition. Well, it's it's just an honor and a pleasure. It's it, As you mentioned, it's a Saturday morning. There's all kinds of ways you could be spending it. We have a nice day. I'm sure down where you are, not too far from me, it's a beautiful day like it is here. But I have to tell you that this is really exciting. I've been looking forward to this, and I'm just honored to be a part of it and can't wait. Super. Now, those who listen, they know that we love to kick this off with a little icebreaker. Uh, we just recently retired the game Six Degrees of Separation Factor Fiction. Uh, I'll be okay. I always dreamt we'd get Renee Zellweger on the show, but uh, finally, we just got to hang up that dream. I mean, Brandon. Brandon's got to hang up that dream. That's what I'm saying. In <laughs> <laughs> um, any case, uh, what I want to ask you is, if you were Rob Lowe and you blocked Brandon on Twitter, what would my friend Brandon here have to do to appease you to get unblocked by you, Mr. Rob Lowe? Oh, I think he would have to do a Facebook Live video and tell his um, his most embarrassing story to the world. That's what I would ask him to do. Ah, I will do that because <laughs> I am actually blocked by Rob Lowe. So I'm going, I'm going to make a Facebook live video and see what I can do. <laughs> uh, I think, I think you appeal to the video, you appeal to the ego. You, you put yourself out there in a live. The thing about live videos is they're raw and they're unscripted and, and there's a little bit of a penance there that you could argue and, and then let it kind of fall where it may. There we go. We'll have to follow up with you and let you know if that actually worked. And yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. There you go. <laughs> So did you do anything? Can you mind me asking if you did anything to get blocked? Did you just, did you earn it or was it just? I have absolutely no idea. I didn't even know it was a thing until I saw somewhere on Twitter where you could see the people that had blocked you and I clicked on it and it turned out it was some sort of Autobot thing and, and Rob Lowe. And I thought, why would Rob Lowe, you know, block me? I'm a big fan. I like his movies, but apparently he doesn't like me. 
St. Elmo's Fire resonates with you so much. I know. I was like, dude, I, I was a fan, but whatever. Well, we didn't bring Sean to just talk about Rob Lowe. We brought him on because he stole the uh, title to what I think is a great podcast that I, I could have, should have, would have probably started, but uh, the Come to the Table podcast because – we love having conversations with different people, as you've heard in, in past episodes. We don't want to be one of those shows that everybody on just agrees with us. And, of course, I have five kids, so I very rarely am all in agreement on anything in my life. But uh, we want to bring on people that have a different point of view, but mostly just want to have a conversation in a different way. And, and Sean does that. So we wanted to meet you and kind of find out a little bit about what you do and, and find out a little bit about why you started this podcast. Well, sure. I think like a lot of people and really an overwhelming number of people, you, you find a little bit of a frustration out there in the world without being negative. And that is that the typical conversations seem to be, and a lot of them through social media, we see stuff on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else that seem to dominate a negative approach to differences of opinion, uh, especially around the political realm. I think it really started to take a, a strong push back in 2000 when uh, when George W. and Al Gore were running against each other. And it just became not just differences of opinion, but then it became divisive. And there was that gap. And it just never right. seemed to be able to, to bridge that gap. And then things, certain things happened that, you know, bring us together for the moment, like 9-11 or other things, the Olympics, for, for, you know, for lack of a better express, example. But then for the most part, it just seems like it just gets stirred up again. And there was no real opportunity for people to come together and truly talk and have an, and, and just appreciate the other view to start with, let alone try to convince somebody. And then I think the last election was really what kind of put it over, at least for me <laughs> specifically, in terms of what to do about it. Because it's one thing to sit and wax poetic about it around with some friends or, or complain around a campfire, not only about those things, but even your own issues. But then the ultimate question that I go back to, from a, especially from a faith standpoint, is, and it reminds me of a Matthew West song, who's a Christian artist, and that's, you know, he's kind of arguing at God about all these bad things in the world, and he's yelling at God about, well, what, what are you going to do about it? And God turns around and says, well, I did something. I mean, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Exactly. You know, what, you know, what are you doing on a day-to-day to make the world, uh, for lack of you know, the same old expression, a better place? Or what are you doing to contribute to the good? And how are you doing that? And in such, and what standard are you using by which to do that? And so I felt very convicted. I've been a fan of podcasts. I absolutely love them for, for many, many years, always been a listener traveling and different and things like that. And as you guys know, and especially in the Houston area, when you drive anywhere, it takes <laughs> you 30 minutes to get anywhere you want to go. So you have a lot of time. And, and I learned a long time ago that you can, I'm kind of a garbage in, garbage out guy. You can put whatever you want in your ear, and that's going to ultimately sing to your heart, sing to your mind, and sing to your soul. So what are you feeding your mind? You can feed it with political talk and get all excited and fired up and angry, I think, or you can turn around and put it in sports and stuff like that, which kind of does the same thing in a different way, <laughs> at least these days. Yeah. It just becomes very, and then it becomes very much of an echo chamber, very repetitive. And so I, I, I got into podcasts, and then the beauty about podcasts is it's unlimited. It's like the last true bastion of free speech and openness for people to literally talk about any subject that they want to. I mean, as you guys know, our industry has subject podcasts about literally anything that's out there, and right. there's a beauty to that. Absolutely. And so I, and so, and so as, a, as a fan, and then it's kind of one of those things, too, which I think is a, a bit of an homage to what you guys do. It, so you, as a fan and a listener, you think, okay, that's great, but it seems like it's something that's over there that I can't really ultimately be a part of. And then it just kind of became obvious to me that it was something. I wanted to do something around the company that I started, and I had the, literally had the equipment sitting around waiting for that to kind of 
kind of bear fruit. That's an, it's a timing issue, which is another story. But I had this equipment sitting there, and I kind of went, well, why can't I just do this? And in the song, it comes from the song from Sidewalk Prophets about come to the table, and it's and it's an it's it's an invitation to those that are listening that really the gospel is meant to be for everybody, which it is. It is meant to be for anybody who wants to come to the table. It's supposed to be inclusive, not exclusive. Right. And that's what they're arguing around the song. And so I just thought, man, okay, and it was just one of these God moments for me. And I thought, okay, well, I want to do something. This is great. I wanted to let me ask people to come to the table. I don't want them. I don't want to create an echo chamber. I want to talk, but I did want to talk about the big difficult things, religion, racism, sex, politics. Let's have a discussion around these topics that we're told over and over again that we can't. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use CapShow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into CapShow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. CapShow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. You even had an episode on eating disorders, too. We just right. had a recent guest on who went through an eating disorder. Um, yeah, so I, and I've listened to a few episodes, and he, the, the way Sean carries out those those discussions you don't feel like he's trying to push an agenda on the other person he's not right. blasting the other person because they have a different view he's truly asking questions out of curiosity he's sharing his own perspective the other person's sharing his or her own perspective and and you really broaden your perspective on things i, I love how uh, the inspiration for you starting the come to the table podcast uh similarly to my favorite show on television right now the walking dead uh, <laughs> That's pretty much the same. Only thing. Jerry can make this connection of the dots. <laughs> this is, oh, I can't wait to hear this. this is great. <laughs> so currently in the season, uh, there's this guy named Negan. He's got a whole gang, a big gang called the Saviors, and uh, they're really anything but the Saviors. They they go around, they bash heads, they kill people, and they basically have put this big giant thumb of oppression on the other survivors in the area. Well, Rick Grimes and his group have banded together with other groups, and now it's all out war. And the public watching the show, and plus the the characters we refer to as the good guys, they mainly see the only solution is wipe out Negan and his gang, because that's the only way we're going to survive and thrive. Yet you got a couple of folks within the good guy side that are saying, wait, when this is said and done, if we wipe out all those guys, we become monsters ourselves. We become them. There you go. Uh, And then, so we got to keep in mind, when we're done, we got to live with these guys. So kind of like the election. I mean, extreme politics is what got people moving forward, yet nobody ever really seemed to stop and think, wait, when this is done, we all got to live together and live with whatever decision was made as a country through the system we've got. And I think that's the thing we're running into right now is a lot of folks still haven't quite figured that out. We're, right. we're on the brink of something bad. And, and here comes this show that says, wait. Why don't we do what we've always done? Let's talk again. Let's Have connect with people. <laughs> and, and in your show's description, you talk about it. It's about connecting with people and you know talking with them, connecting with them through conversation. I love that. Well, and, I, and I think what really makes it hard is there's that natural reaction to say, if I wipe out this negativity on the other side, if I eliminate 
if we defeat Germany in World War II, we defeat Nazism or National Socialism or these evil people that think something differently. If, if I remove this particular entity out of my life that's a negative, then the negativity itself will go away. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is you're fighting an idea and you're fighting an ideology and you're trying to fight it using physical means. It is our natural reaction. Something bad happens, you want to physically react because it's an easy way to do it and it seems to give you an immediate result. But it doesn't, it doesn't, over the, over the long term, it isn't really a solution. And, and that's, I've been going through that a lot. As we talked before, all of us have served in the military. We're all men. We're, we're all from Texas. And I know there's a lot of stereotypes around that. And, and a lot of them are true. There's, you know, there's that physicality that we're all used to in our lives. And just as, especially as men in that, in that role. And so you, you understand why there's that proclivity to do that. But I just haven't, just haven't seen that really bear fruit over an extended period of time. It may be something you can do from an acute standpoint, because I know there's a lot of law enforcement individuals, a lot of people that deal with certain situations like that who are like, look, if I'm being attacked at that moment, I can't look over and say, I love you, brother, while this guy's high on crystal meth trying to, you know, bash my head in. I, I get that. But I think mm-hmm. from an overall standpoint, relative to something like an election, and I say this all the time, it's funny that you say that, those 60-something million people that didn't vote for Donald President Trump or didn't vote for President Obama or didn't vote for the local congressman, they're still in this country, and we still have to drive next to them on the highway or right. sit next to them in a restaurant. I mean, they're still here. There's yeah. no real winner, and the winner does not take all. Right, exactly. You're, you, you have provided a platform for people to come and ask questions, too. And, and that's important because once we've made a decision and, and like an election, okay, then immediately we've got to get to work to understand, not necessarily, you know, bend to whatever the other side said, but get to know it, understand what the, the whole topic is, you know, and, and this country has a long history of just, let's just divide and conquer. You know, if we keep all the people we don't necessarily like in one area, then it's okay. We can get, we can get by with our lives. That's clearly not ever worked. And, you know, and, and I don't talk a whole lot about the fact that I am a pastor and I, I don't not talk about it for any particular reason other than it tends to shut people down. They don't want to talk openly and honestly, but as a, as a human being, I've got to know where you're coming from in order to understand why you are the way you are, but you have to hear me too. And, and your podcast is not one of those, you know, we all turn on and you can pick Fox News, CNN, any MEC, whichever one they are. They're all just. Either everybody on there agrees with everybody or they're yelling at each other, neither of which gets anybody anywhere. And I, and I do think people are tired of that. I think that it gets a lot of shock value. It's like a car wreck uh, that with the blinking lights. People have a tendency to look really quick. There's not a lot of staying power with it. And it's why I love this industry. And I would say you, know, you guys are 120 episodes in, but I would argue that you've done more in your short period of time, relatively short period of time for people to reach out and give them that other voice. And it's more of a long bet that says, hey, we're going to continue to have people on this show that talk to you about getting you almost, and I love the idea that's beyond the rut versus getting out of the rut, because it's it's saying you're going to have to recognize that you're in it. You're going to have to understand what to do while you're there. But there, part of it is this false idea that just because you get out of one rut, you're never going to get in another <laughs> rut to begin with. And you're really trying so to true. empower people around the idea that, hey, what do you do while you're there? You had the the, the guest on, uh, and I just listened to it, and I, I forgot her name. She had the daughter with Down syndrome. Megan Beller. And, and, yeah. and it's this idea that you're supposed to either feel bad that it happened or you're supposed to avoid it. But it's, it creates this awesome opportunity to engage in, in a world, in a context, and around something that becomes the normal, the new normal, however you want to look at it. But there is joy and there is beauty, and it is not all sadness. There's this, there's, and it's this irony. It's just, it's, it's a beauty that I only see possible in this crazy thing we call life. That here's this thing that's supposed to be negative, 
but it really is a positive, and it even it's, it doesn't almost even make sense, and it really plays into a lot of things that I've seen around my life that are that have been really important. You look look at our faith, look at look at suffering in general, and look at how we deal with suffering. Look at things like you know the nonprofit industry and philanthropy and altruism. They don't normally make sense on paper. They don't really. It doesn't. What Jesus did doesn't really make sense. That was what was so powerful about his actions and so powerful about what he did was it didn't conform to the norm or what the expectation was. What do you mean? Serving from the behind, serving from the bottom up, it doesn't adhere to what we think. We look at, oh, it has to be somebody at the top who's flashy and shiny, and they're they're carving this new way, and they're at the very top pulling everybody up, and we should hero worship from the, from the bottom up versus here's this guy who had no net worth, you know, no, 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 no temples, no, you know, no massive things of, of physical means. And he led in such a way that has, has had a dramatic impact on society and culture for millennia. And there's something, right. something to that. Even his, his outreach ministry, I mean, he went to the people, the very people that the, the people in the synagogue would say, you don't talk to, you don't talk right. to the tax collector, you don't talk to the, the hookers and the people who go to the bars and, yeah, do whatever they do in bars. And that's where he went because he's like, they're the ones who are hurt. They're the ones who need healing. And the expectation, even today, especially today, and we were talking about this before the show, uh, that the expectation today is that, you know, our pastors, our spiritual leaders only talk to the good people who come to church right. every Sunday. And no, that's if we really want to heal the world, we got to do kind of what you're doing. You, you reach out to the people who have been snubbed by mainstream society and I, I love it. So, yeah. Well, and that's the thing that I, it's been the most humbling about this entire experience and really the most challenging at the same time is that you come to find out that the vast majority of people that you, that I've talked to and continue to talk to, so many of them, their issue around religion or Christianity or faith in general really has nothing to do with believing it. It has to do with their experience around it. It has to do yeah. with, how how churches treated them and here's and here's a slippery slope too and it's and I'm and I'm sure Brandon you can as soon as you it's, there's there's all this idea that it's always the the pulpit or the or the pastoral side or the church itself that is the one who who can and does and there's a lot of history and there's a lot of examples of it not serving the congregation or the body well right. but there's also a flip to that there's actually a podcast I came across called the wounded shepherd which is about people in ministry who who have gone through their own turmoil where the con- where the body hasn't been really nice to them. And <laughs> right. it's this and it's those experiences and at its core it's the same thing. You're not coming at it with the basic tenets that we're taught it, to be kind, to be gentle, to be loving, and to be considerate and patient and and all these, you know, the fruits of the spirit and the rest of this stuff. If if we could just do that and and it really isn't something to, to tell people, it goes back to, well, I need to be that. I need to be that to people. I need to start there if I can't do it. And it, and it can be difficult. And it, and this is where people like, I don't want to deal with that, or I really don't want to talk about racism. The very first episode I ever did was around racism, and it was with a friend of mine, somebody that I know, and it was difficult, and it was not necessarily enjoyable at, at the beginning, but it has become such a wonderful thing in the end. And even the fourth episode I did was with a friend of mine, a different perspective around racism. And even people within the church that I go to struggled with it, people that I know, and those old adages come up in pride and ignorance and and just these things that keep us from from really making progress in that, but it's, and it's also, there's also a big yellow flag I throw up and that is don't expect, because I had one nice hour conversation with a friend of mine who is an atheist that at the end of it, he's going to become a Christian. Right. And I think we, I think we get wrapped up in that too, that we're, we're looking for this result and well, did they convert and did they, be, did they, 
or so are they going to go to church now? I think that's not that's not the thing either. That's not really what it is. It's really that relationship. It's really building that, and it's just loving them where they are. And in the end, I've come down on it's not my job to convert them. It's not, right. and I'd be curious what you think of that, Brandon, because I I just don't find it. I, it's not within my power to do that. Exactly. I hear that real, all the time. Is I don't know how to save people, and I always say I don't either. I've never <laughs> saved anybody. I, I I don't have that ability. But that's not my job either. My job is to share, you know, the love of Christ and and the gospel and the best way I possibly can, not necessarily just, uh, you know, verbally, not not just, you know, reading or, or speaking, but acting, how you react to people who are atheist or, you know, other faiths or other, you know, political views or whatever. It's like we sometimes think, just like you said, after an hour, I've got to convince you to be, you know, whatever it is, a Republican, a Christian, uh, right. you know, a, a cowboy fan, whatever it is. Yeah. And if I can't, then there's something wrong with you and you're right. just a lost cause. And all of our news and political stuff has become that. If I can't convince you of my side, why don't we just you make your case? I make my case and and we go from there. And, you know, you, you talked about how people's views on church and, and religion and stuff. I, I started saying years ago, and I don't know if I came up with it or if I heard it from somebody. I probably stole it from somebody. But, you know, there's the, there's the unchurched, the people who don't know the gospel. They've never been exposed to it at all. But I also think there's a huge amount of people out there that are the de-churched. They've been to church, and they're, they turn around and go, I don't want anything to do with it because either a bad pastor or a bad, you know, Christians or whatever it is, we churn people up and spit them out because they didn't do exactly what we think they should do. And, you know, that's not what the church is supposed to be. Recently, we lost, you know, Reverend Billy Graham, who's a huge, uh, you know, a monumental person in my life. But his message was so simple. It was just the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. He didn't try to get you to do anything other than that. And if we focus more on what the good is and less on what you're doing wrong, I think we would probably move a lot more people in that direction. No, it, it really, it really is, it really is that simple. And I just, I can't help but think of of, of my own story a little bit, if I can, yeah. if you will. I, I didn't, I didn't get baptized till I was thirty-two years old. I, I did not grow up Christian. I did not grow up around people that I would consider even great examples for Christianity. And there's, and I say that not to be critical, because there's a, and there's an end game to this. And that is, I saw, I looked over and would say, well, wow, if that's what it means to be a Christian, where you show up on Sunday. And you're really good for an hour, and then the, I see you Monday through Saturday, and I know what you're really about. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't. I don't want any part of that. Right. And and here's the thing. That's that's understandable. When you look over at somebody, and if they're not, and, and I always, and I say this in my podcast a lot, but the irony is Christians are the worst salesmen for Christianity. It goes yep. back to the yeah. what Gandhi said. You know, it, it, I like Jesus. It's the Christians I really don't like. <laughs> exactly. And so and so, but to that. Really, the person who suffered from that, as I see it now for my own life, is I did. I let somebody else's shortcomings dictate what I believe or what I think and how I felt about the gospel. And all that did was keep me from 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 my faith and from God and from Jesus. That That's who it hurt, ultimately, mm-hmm. as I see it now. I allowed that to be the reason. And it really isn't if, – if you if you break the law or you do something wrong or you're you don't represent some political party or some – maybe you're not fiscally – you know, smart or whatever, does that give me a reason to do the same? And that's the real question you have to ask yourself is, is that, is that the reason not to believe that? 
And, right. and even the flip side is even if you're this wonderful, great Christian and, you know, bake pies for people to come in and go on mission trips, it, it really is your own journey. And it's your own. Right. I, that's why I think ultimately our challenge for our podcast and what we try to ask people to do. And I think what I see you doing is just like, here, take this nugget. We're going to put it out there for you to listen to. And now you got to go do something with it. Right. I want you to go have a conversation. Me having a conversation with somebody who's homosexual or transgender or, or, a, or, a, or a Lutheran priest or a liberal atheist or whatever that doesn't help you. It gives you some nugget to chew on. But now my challenge is to go out and do something about it. What are you going to now go have your own conversation? You go identify where your rut is and see how you can use what we've taught you to get yourself out of that. That's the ultimate goal, I think, for all of this. Absolutely. And, and it's so important that we teach, uh, that we learn it, but also that we teach our kids that, you know, all my, I remember my grandmother growing up was like, you know, and I grew up in the seventies and, and racism was still very, very evident in, in Northeast Texas. But I remember her telling me that, you know, all black people aren't bad, but remember all white people aren't good. And, and you need to learn who is who and, and about people, not just make these blanket, you know, judgment kind of uh, statements. And, you know, it, it's so frustrating when people don't have some facts. They, they, they believe whatever their parents believed or how they grew up or whatever. And, you know, just recently I got a message uh, on the church Facebook page and a lady was asking me if our church was inclusive. And my response was just, I don't even know what that means. Right. Because it's, A, it's not my church. I don't, I don't kick people <laughs> out. You don't apply to get here. But also inclusive, not being inclusive somehow means we're special. And, and, you know, like you said, the most important thing about our faith is we're not special. You know, we, we follow somebody who is, but, but we're not. And we're supposed to be that kind of inclusive, uh, type environment for people to come and learn, but you have to do it yourself. Now, there's another thing that you started, uh, Charity Corps. Tell us a little bit about that and kind of what, what that mission is and how you got started there. Sure. So, so the same time, so years ago when I became a, uh, my, my face started to become prominent. I was working in corporate America for a company called Schlumberger, uh, very very large, one of the largest oil field services company in the world, multinational, multi-billion, huge, huge company. And at the same time, I got involved around charity. I got involved in charity work, got exposed to that. And the first area that I got exposed into was around pediatric cancer. The largest pediatric cancer and hematology center in the world is actually here in Houston. The Texas Medical Center is the, lar- is the largest of its kind in the world. It's amazing. If you have any idea about it, you know it. It is a city unto itself. And part, a big part in the in pediatric cancer is the number one, number one leading cause of non-accidental death in children under the age of 18, I believe. And wow. it, is, it, it, it is something if you see somebody go through that, you see a child, you see a family, it, it is one of those things that will, that will change you. And at the same time, as I got into that world and learned how I could use the business side of my relationships in the, in the, in the oil and gas industry to create things like uh, fundraising events and softball tournaments and golf tournaments, I got really into that in terms of seeing the fact that we had all these resources around us and could we use business and could we use our everyday work and actually start to mesh it into that world. It, it really started to change my life. And then adding in the faith element and then there's, this, there's a level of service, there's a level of what, what are we doing for those that are less fortunate? What are we doing for those that that don't have as much as us? It's very easy, I think, for people to separate business from the real world. I think we try to do that. It goes back to that old adage about, oh, it's not, it's not personal, it's business. I think that's the greatest lie in the world. I, I, if it's not personal, I don't know why you're doing it. And I think it's a cop out if you say that, honestly. Yep. And I don't mean to be definitive on those kind of things, but I do think that there's an element to that. I think the real issue is 
It's about being responsible. And how do you how do you then address things like philanthropy and charity? Because I'll give you just a couple of quick stats. In the city of Houston, which is considered the most philanthropic city, statistically speaking, in the country and has been for a very long time, there are over 22,000 charities in a 50-mile radius of our city. Wow. So the challenge to be to, to be considerate of the business side and businesses in general is I, I talked about pediatric cancer. It can pull at your heartstrings in a heart in a heartbeat, but we're all veterans. I can then start talking to you about veteran statistics and the fact that we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide. That's just suicide. That doesn't include the post-traumatic stress. That doesn't include the day-to-day that they deal with. Then you start going to the areas like, okay, what about the elderly? You start looking at epilepsy. You start looking at autism in children. You start looking at all the different suffering that's going on in the world and it can become absolutely overwhelming as an individual. You starting adding in the business side. And if I just have a small painting company out of, out of Stafford, Texas, and I'm just trying to learn how to, I'm just trying to survive so I can take care of my family. And you add in this element of thousands of organizations and thousands of stories of people suffering. I don't mean just a little bit. I mean suffering. And you go to me and say, can you help? Well, sure. I as a business want to. But it becomes overwhelming. I can't. I can't help everybody. Right. And so I saw that in the. And that's the real issue on the business side. I think is why it, it actually has the smallest percentage of the philanthropic dollars that are donated each year. On average, our country as a whole generates about three hundred billion dollars in giving. Seventy-two percent of that comes from people, individuals that just hand over money, which is amazing. Wow. Only 5% of that comes from businesses and corporations. It's the smallest group. Wow. And there's a giving strategy, US, USA Giving Strategy is a nonprofit that puts those statistics out. All that to be said, what I saw was an opportunity to, to give, you have, there's an element of, and I always say this and I always, always stutter it, you have to be fair. I think there's an element of, you have to be realistic and you have to be a little bit pragmatic around the requirements for a business that they can't, they can't give away all their money. That doesn't right. work. People can't give away all their money. But can you work together and, and have a benefit for each individual, each element of that, whether it's the business, the nonprofit, or even us as consumers, to give us the opportunity when we go to spend money? And here's the irony. Every time you spend a dollar, and we have to spend money every day just to survive. It's just part of it. Electric bill, car, gas, food, where you buy your clothing. Every day we spend money, and we make a choice, and there's an economic vote that says, I'm going to go to this, buy this here or buy that here. So the, the synopsis behind my company is if I could line if I could line up businesses who are willing to donate based on you purchasing something. So much like Amazon Smile, if you've seen that, Absolutely. or much like if you've seen. So Amazon Smile is great. The limiting there, though, is it's only through Amazon. It doesn't do any other business any good. So what we're doing is we're partnering with we become the bridge between existing businesses of any kinds, AC shops, flower shops, restaurants, uh, auto detailing. Uh, retail, it doesn't matter. Any any B2C company can come into our program and we partner with them and become the bridge that says, hey, if I can drive consumers to you to buy something from you, if you're willing to, to as a cost item, and, and here's the thing, businesses get all excited and they're like, well, I don't want to give away my profit. And I'm like, oh, hold on. <laughs> every, every, every cost that you incur as a business dele- takes away from your profit. When you give a discount, you're, you're reducing your income. You're, it's a cost you're willing to inherit. When you give, when you pay for materials or labor or HR or office equipment or anything, that comes off your bottom. That's a cost. And you're willing to incur it if there's a return. So my argument is if this becomes part of your cost structure, you can still determine your profit from that if you're willing to do this. Because if you're willing to do these, this over here, sometimes it's, it's moving one cost from here to there. And, and people are willing to do that if they're getting a return on it. 
And so my argument is if we, if you knew somebody could come in and buy this cup of coffee from you, I'm not saying to charge more. I actually ask businesses not to do that. But if you're willing, instead of giving that 10% discount, maybe donate 10%. My argument is it's a better use of the value of the money to you, the business and to the consumer. And so by doing so, you're able to create, and I, I as a consumer aren't, give, I'm not having to give any more money. I'm just buying my product and I get to choose. And I know by buying this, I can, I can donate. And then where the real power is, is based on our system, the way that it works, we do everything through an app on your phone. But as a consumer, you get to choose where the money goes. In the business, the power is to defer that choice to the consumer. Because my argument is outside of your employees, the number one most important people to any business is your consumer. Let them choose. And now you don't have to choose. It's not to the business to make that decision between those 22,000 nonprofits. Your consumers choose. Your customers choose. And in my experience in the corporate world, your customers rule the day. Your customers are the most important people. So let them be the most important people. And so That's, to date, how many people do you have uh, signed up on so your – So we literally, we literally went live just a couple of weeks ago. We have uh, right at 20 businesses here in the Sugarland area that we're starting with, all various types. I kind of listed them, a couple of air conditioning companies, some flower shops, a couple of restaurants, different businesses like that. And we're just, a bit, we're just literally getting started. It's a two-year awesome. process. It's, it's been a slow – it's a slow – go but it's <laughs> it's very exciting around and and it really becomes a benefit for everybody and it's and it's and once and the business owners get really excited because now it gives them something that they get something it, you have to be don't expect exxon mobile i learned this years ago when i was in corporate america just because it's a big bad corporation that makes billions and billions of dollars just by saying oh well you should give that money away that's not that's not <laughs> pragmatic and that's right. not practical either in terms of just asking them to do that but if you come up with a system that's, that provides value for all that are involved, then it becomes systemic and then it, and it becomes, it becomes equal in that sense. And it really is about all of those things working together. And now I could go out and I'm not asking you to get to not buy something. It's a bit of a, it's a, it's a 3.0 to Sally Struthers. If you remember back in the day, she said, Hey, if you, <laughs> if you, if you give up a cup of coffee every day for a month, you can feed some, uh, a, young, a young person in Africa. And that's true. But here's the thing. We're not going to do that. Right. We, there's, and there's a little bit of a, and you can do that to some extent, but that even at best, that means still 85 to 90 percent of your spend, so to speak, is going to be spent on what you need. And I so my that. argument is, if you can expand upon that, and not, I'm not saying not to give away money or not to do something more with that, but if you can make that spend part of it, we can then add to that bottom line and do more, because there are so many organizations out there that wake up every day and have just unbelievable. Mi- in this. If you've had any experience around nonprofits, right. there are some absolutely wonderful organizations that wake up and are truly, truly changing the world, changing lives, but they need resources, they need help, they need time, they need people, and they need money to right. do that. And they just do. It's a part of it. That's a great concept. I know that you know. I'm, I'm the same way with uh, Smile at Amazon. I, I use Amazon all the time. I know I'm going to, so... You know, to do it through that website takes me no effort whatsoever, but it does benefit an organization, selfishly my church. But still, I'm okay with that because I'm going to buy stuff anyway. I love that whole concept of, uh, you know, I think it was George Carlin that said many, many years ago, and some of our listeners are probably too young to remember him. But he used to always say, you really want to solve homelessness, figure out a way to make money off of it. And I know that sounds kind of, you know, jaded or something, but it's true. If you figure out a way for people to, to give money to it, but not give up that cup of coffee every day for a month or whatever it is, you can actually solve these problems because all you're doing is streamlining how those resources get to where they need to go. 
and here, if you allow me to go on my soapbox for this just a little bit, because this is sure. where I want to, I want to lobby for the nonprofit side. My, I do this as a business. I have a for-profit business that does this. We're not a charity. At the same, at the same time, you can't. Everything about charity is to do what? Is to offset a cost somewhere. When you raise money for cancer research, and we want cancer to go away, and everybody agrees on that, that's great. But that all that money goes to pay for a cost somewhere. It goes to pay for a, a lab. It goes to pay for a PhD to have a 30-year career so they can spend their entire life dedicated to doing this. But if you think you're going to ask them to do that and tell them to do it for free or to do it for 30 to 40% less than what they could get somewhere else, I, I think we have it reversed. We're, we're, we're allowing people to go out and make as much money as they want working for an advertising company or for a pharmaceutical company or for a social media marketing company that creates revenue and profit and make as much money as you want if you get into the nonprofit world, all of a sudden, if you want to make any money at all, you're looked at as a demon. You're looked at as somebody who's wrong. And I'm saying, no, we should pay those people. As a matter of fact, if we want to invest in anyone, it should be in those same people to run that. And to, and to add to that as well, there's a lot of nonprofits. If you're looking at a $100,000 a year nonprofit in terms of a budget, you can get by with that with some friends that you know, and it can be local. The American Red Cross is a $3 billion a year organization. They're bringing in $8 million a day in revenue, and they have to manage that, and they're international. You can't manage that company with a bunch of your friends and some people who, who, who know a little bit about Excel. You cannot fiscally manage that company and, continue, and maintain it and then grow it in any capacity with a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing and do so on a shoestring budget. It just doesn't work that way. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of I would rather have 70% of a hundred million dollars than I would 90% of a hundred thousand. It just doesn't, it just, and I think we're missing it and we're missing an opportunity to truly, truly fight and do something about homelessness, about cancer research, about these things. And I'll, and I'll do one last thing. I'll give you a prime example of what I mean. And I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a hot button issue for me, obviously, but <laughs> you're a little passionate about it. I a love little bit that. of passion. Yeah. A little bit. If you look back remember the ice bucket challenge, remember the ice bucket yeah. challenge. Okay. That raised the last estimates for the ALS association, one nonprofit, they got anywhere from 90 to $100 million as a result of people giving $10. That's amazing. $10. Okay. Their annual budget before that, right around 2014 or 2013, when they, their typical budget for the year was right around $3 million. <laughs> They got 90 in the next 12 months or so. Wow. 30 times their revenue in a year. Take any individual, whether it's personal income or any business revenue, and in a year, if you were to multiply what you had been doing the last year or so and do 30 times that much, what would that allow you to do? It would allow you to do a lot more of what you're already doing. What they did, they turned around and it was something like 47, 48 million of that. They invested in a research project out of Europe and they brought it to the United States because it took money to take buildings and people and equipment to continue research around ALS. And they started and they put, published a report as a result of that money invested in that for like the next 18 months. I think, it was, I think 2016 is when they came back out with the report. They started, they had identified a gene which they believe is going to be, could possibly be one of the genes that they could use to turn ALS on and off. Now, what you heard was it, it was a step in that direction. It wasn't a cure for it, but it was a step in that direction, and it took $48 million to do it. Right. Now, look, I don't know all the details, and I've been around cor enough money. I know there's waste, and I know there, there's no, there's no, I, if you wanted to break that down, I'm sure if you broke down anybody's money-wise and said, well, why did you spend $1,000 on this? Why didn't you spend right. 500 Why did you... Why did they lease this building and not that building? And then it, why did you spend $10,000 on a website instead of five? I think we nickel and dime this stuff so much that it's, you get lost in the fact that what is the end result of what they're doing? 
And now go with any nonprofit. I would say start there. You want to look at the, the numbers, go look at the 990. It's a public information. You can find out what they're spending. And, and you can sit there and divulge it and you can nickel and dime them to death. And you can, and I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this because I'm not in it anymore because I used to be, and my wife has been in it for a long time. Argue all you want about their metrics, but that's not really helping them. If the result of their work is to really move that needle, to truly make progress around cancer research, around ALS research, and they identified a gene, what would it then be worth? I'd flip it on you and say, if you could find a gene that could turn off ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, if you don't know what it is, have you ever seen somebody die of Lou Gehrig's disease? It yes. is awful. It's tragic. It is, it is a, it is a living tragedy. And I don't mean that lightly. And I'm not saying that, but if you want, it is, it is, it is a terrible thing to see somebody go through. If you could turn that off, what would that be worth to you? Oh, Can yeah. you put a number on that? Exactly. Yeah. The, so, the pastor that married my wife yeah, and I died. I say of pastor ALS. Brian. Yeah. Right. So you, I mean, and so have you ever seen somebody die of, die a slow death of Alzheimer's? Have you ever seen a, a child suffer through? And I'm not trying, and so I don't want to take away from, I think now I'm thinking about the episode about Down syndrome. <laughs> it's not, it's not exactly. about taking away so that there's never any suffering. I'm just saying, what are we doing about it to fight it? And what are we, are we putting our resources into that? Or are we putting our resources into other things? And I would just ask, where do you want to invest your time and, and money? And it's not so that it goes away so that we live a life of luxury or a life of opulence. Because here's the thing, that research only showed a gene that may turn off in some of the cases. It didn't right. cure it. Exactly. But we need that kind of research. And I love your passion behind this and, and your laser focus of trying to make a difference. How can people that want, you know, that just heard that and they really want to get involved, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you and get involved? And, well, I just and downloaded a Charity Corps app and there's like over 1,200 nonprofits to choose from here. I'm like, oh man, so many choices. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's, so we have an app that goes on your phone. I will tell you if you, if you download it anywhere besides Sugarland, Texas, there's probably not going to be a lot of businesses that, that, that show up with that. Yeah. I would, and I'll yeah. do a selfish plug. <laughs> if you have a business and it's, it deals with consumers, the way that we're set up, we can, we can reach anywhere because we have an app. We can operate anywhere in the country. Um, this may be adding a lot, a lot of work, but I don't care. And that's fine. The, we can, we can partner with any business and we can partner with any nonprofit. It's very easy. And, and it, and, and the logistics makes sense. It's a very much a, it, we, we make money off of the donation. We don't charge the business to be a part of it. We take a percentage of what's raised. It's a, it's a true partnership amongst all of us. We're, my company's not successful unless the nonprofit is successful, unless the business is successful. And that we, we tied in and I did it that way on purpose because I really, if all of us have a piece and all of us get something and it's about being fair to each group in that and saying, yes, you're going to end up giving money to a nonprofit. They're going to pay somebody's staff. They're going to pay for this and that's going to be okay. Yes, the business has to make money. We need to stop vilifying businesses. I'm very pro. Stop getting mad at a business for making a profit. Stop being mad at them for that. I, I, I just don't think that that's, that's not helping anything. Absolutely. They have to do that or else they don't survive and businesses go away. I mean, <laughs> exactly. well, it is a very, it is a very equitable system. If you're not profitable, you don't, you don't get to pay the bills. You don't have payroll. That's it. Our system, we, you know, we're, we're very free in that sense, but it's a, it's a big price to pay. So don't get mad at some local coffee shop who is spending 12 hours a day, six days a week to fight to stay alive because you walk in there and you want them to give away $100 worth of coffee and they can't do it. Don't, I'm saying, what if you could take your support base and say, what if we come and buy from you every day, all day? And it's not just Giving Tuesday. It's not just Small Business Saturday in November. And I'm not trying to knock those, but if you could do every day, every day they're suffering, every day businesses need customers, every day we we're out looking to do something every day. A nonprofit needs help. It's an everyday thing. And that kind of ties into what we were talking about before, which I want to go back into. And that is, you know, we're going to be dealing with something all the time. There's never going to be a relief. 
at least not in this world as I see it. Right. There's going to be something to fight against. There's going to be something to grind against. There's going to be a rut somewhere. So do something to fight that rut. And not, instead of and instead of acquiescing and going, oh, I got to give up or this is terrible. I just want to spend all my days at the beach. Let's all lock arms, work together, and fight this thing amongst ourselves and under, and not give credence to like this is more important than that one. Well, kids with they're on on dialysis and have renal failure. Well, they need more than a kid with his heart failure, which is more or less important than somebody that has epilepsy or fill in the blank or somebody that can't read or somebody in a in a bad part of town. It's all suffering. There's no there's no winner for who gets to suffer more. There's no prize. Exactly. And I I just love your passion. I love that uh, you know Charity Corp says an app now that you can download. You go check it out, get involved. Obviously, Jerry will have all that in the, the show notes as to way to connect with Sean and find out more about his podcast, but then also his business and, and just link up and start a, start a change in this country that, that makes a huge difference in everyone's lives, especially the ones that you're passionate about, whatever it is that you, you want to find the nonprofit for. Well, thanks, Sean. Thanks for coming yeah. on. We've just had a, a great conversation. It's great to meet you. I know now you're just right up the road in Houston, so we'll have to come see you or get you down here sometime. Yeah, no, I'd love to. You know, it's, it's, yeah, you know how it is down here. We know the door's always open. I would love to show you around, go have a cup of coffee or go have some barbecue or whatever. We'd love to, love to meet you guys and sit down and talk and continue the conversation as well. Sounds great. Appreciate it, Sean. Awesome. All right, guys. Thanks. If you like everything you heard in this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash one, two, four. There you're going to find links to the come to the table podcast as well as charity core. Uh, and then also the, the links to where you can find those in your app store. Well, maybe not links because you can just go to your app store and search charitycore.com uh, or charity core. I should say now, best way you can support our show is to share us with a friend, a family member, that neighbor across the street, even your coworkers. Yeah. Cause you, you like your coworkers, right? You should, cause you work with them for a third of the day, every day. Now, we also don't want you to miss an episode. So subscribe to us. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher, Google play music. If you love email notifications, you can subscribe to our email list. Just go to beyondtherut.com, scroll down a little bit, and you'll see the pop-up asking you to join our email list. We're only going to share with you our newest, latest episodes. We're not going to try to sell you anything because, frankly, we don't have any products to sell. And one last thing, we'd love to hear from you because we know you're listening. Tell us how we're doing. Tell us where you'd like to see us go with the show. Who would you like us to interview? Uh, Is there a specific guest? If you happen to know Renee Zellweger or Rob Lowe, reach out to us because one, I'd like to have Renee, I mean, Brandon would like to have Renee Zellweger on the show as a guest. And two, uh, I'd like to see Rob Lowe unblock Brandon on Twitter. Just, you know, because it's good karma. It's good juju, whatever you want to call it. Um, So reach out to us. We're on Twitter at Beyond the Rut. We're on Facebook at the same name. And we also have an email address, info at beyondtherut.com. There we go. We hope to hear from you. And until next week, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, 
They love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Capshow team today and join me inside that community.